Hello and welcome to another special interview edition of GasCast. This time I'm joined by left-back who notched 145 club appearances for Rovers between 98 and 2003 and was player of the season in his first year at the club. He hails from London Paddington, which must mean he trains well. Please welcome Trevor Poison Chalice. How are you doing, Trevor? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. You? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. How was, how was isolation life treating you? It's, it's strange, isn't it? You know, I'm trying to get stuck into a little bit of homeschooling because I've got a six-year-old uh, little girl. So um, I'm trying to make sure the day's a little bit structured for her more than anything. Um, and also for myself, really. Because there's nothing worse just sat around and doing nothing and festering. So I'm going out for a jog, make sure the homeschooling's right. Um, but just trying to keep myself a little bit busy, really. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you're you're a coach, aren't you, for, for the dark side? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing none of that's happening. He's doing any online stuff with that at all? Doing the boys' tasks. So, we've given them uh, a skill schools challenge that they had to come up with as a group um, in the first week. The second week, we gave them something like an online huddle challenge. So, we use the online platform Huddle. Um, so, we've given them a couple of challenges on there, which, which tries to keep them occupied. They've got their fitness their fitness routines to keep them ticking over. But how long do you keep ticking over? Because nobody's got an end date yet. So yeah. from that, that point of view, it's a little bit difficult um, for motivation reasons because nobody's got that that date where we're going back into work. Mm. So, uh, it's just trying to keep them occupied, trying to keep them busy and, and trying to keep them thinking about the game also. Okay, we won't, won't dwell on dwell on um, your coaching for, for them lot down the road. Um, but your, your time at Rovers, I mean, between 98 and 2003, you played for us. I think it's safe to say the club had some real ups and downs in that period. But, I mean, first of all, how did you end up joining the gas? Obviously, a massive connection during that period with Rovers and, and QPR. Um, a lot of players were going both ways. Um, Ian Holloway, was, I was very close with, to be fair, in the dressing room. Room with him when I first broke into the team at QPR. He got the player manager's job. I was still in contract, but under injury. So I had a, a, an injury, a knee injury. But players that I'd played with, Graham Power was one, yeah. um, Matty Lockwood, Steve Palmer. So they, they, they were in and around the reserve team when, when I was playing. They made the journey across. I forget who it was. Somebody, one of them touched base. Would I be interested in coming across and being out injured? I, I'd have jumped at anything at the time. Mm. I've forgotten man in the game from doing quite well. Um, yeah, so a little bit about your your injury, Trevor. I mean, I was, I was reading up on it. 20 months you're out for with a knee injury and like five operations. I mean, that sounds incredibly tough to, to come back from. Did, did you ever think you would play football Again, let alone in the professional game. I think I was always confident in myself that I would come back. But when you kept getting, when or when I kept getting setbacks on my recovery, uh, I can remember being in the gym on 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 a tre- on the treadmill, um, and my knee inflamed after an operation. I was like, not again. So I had to go back in under the knife, and and it seemed to be a setback after setback at the time. Two of them were, were quite big operations where they had to open up the knee. Three of them were arthroscopies. That, tinier procedures to work on the cartilage and lateral and ligaments and things like that. But um, when my surgeon pulled me in and, and asked me, you know, do I, do I know anything else? You know, you need to start thinking about a plan B. You know, that, that was when things sort of became a little bit real after about the year period. Um, but I was very self-driven and determined that I was going to play football. Mm. Uh, so I was very, very driven, I think, in, in my recovery of trying to get myself back. But the surgeon did say that he did think I would be able to play, but he gave me seven years. Seven mm. years. Yeah. I mean, because you had, you had a great um, time as a youth team play, came at, through the ranks at QPR, and you were England youth team player as well. I mean, you, you played in the prestigious Toulon tournament. I mean, what was that like, being involved in the England setup? Absolutely brilliant. Uh, the team at Toulon, I wasn't originally um, down to travel. Ben Thatcher pulled out of, of the group. He, I think he was sorting out a move from, it might have been Wimbledon to Tottenham. And Ray Wilkins phoned me, who was the manager of QPR. Um, I was due to just about to go on holiday to Thailand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he said, Trev, you've been called up for the England 21s. I said, and he said, it's down to you. Do you, 
you know, do you want to go? I said, of course I want to go, you know, mm. um, you may not ever get the opportunity again to go to, and play for England 21s, but went out there and played in the tournament, thoroughly enjoyed it, played in two of the games. One of them was against Portugal. I think um, Rui Costa played in the game that way. Oh, wow. How, you know, they, how, did, how did you get on against him? Yeah, I thought I'd done all right to be fair. I played as a wing back. Yeah. Against him, but they had other players. Danny, from where, who was at West Ham, Danny, was a very good centre forward who was at West Ham at the time. So their team was littered with um, high class players, really. Yeah, what what names did you have in the, the England team then? Well, we had a couple of good and David Beckham played in, in that tournament. Never heard of him. <laughs> he was probably the, the, the standout player. Richard yeah. Rufus was centre-back who was at Charlton at the time. Charlton, he was captain of the team. And, and for me, he was the one that I thought would have gone on to have the stellar England career. He had everything. Richard Rufus, he was quick, he was mobile, he was tall. And, and he wasn't bad with football, you know. And you come away from the tournament thinking he's going to be a real good player. Michael Brown. Midfielder was, you know, I think he finished his career maybe at Sheffield United. Done really well there. So Michael Brett, Lee Bowyer played in that as well. Okay, yeah. So, you know, there was a little bit a very, a very good England team really as well. Yeah, so you're obviously playing with some really esteemed names there. When did the injury happen? How long after the Salon tournament? It, it literally happened about three months after. So it was four or five games into the new season. We'd just been relegated from the Premier League to the the championship um, and it was against Norwich. So it was, I think it was probably in the September period. Um, so three months, you're literally going from cloud nine to just laying on your back with worrying about your knee. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you must've knew it was incredibly serious as, as soon as it happened then with it being so, so nasty. Yeah. Um, the big one was it's a, a trip back from Norwich to, to London. I had an ice pack on, on my knee the whole time and I took the ice pack off, off when I was back to get off the coach and my knee just exploded. So you knew that there was trauma inside me and the physio sent me straight, uh, even though it was in the early hours in the morning, straight down to the doctors where we were able to get work started on it straight away a little bit. Mm. So, I mean, with your rehab then, you, you're saying you really focused to get back in into the game. How, how important was Ollie in getting you back in to professional football because a lot of managers and a lot of clubs maybe would take a second look a man who's been out for 20 months yeah that, that, that's why Ollie when, when it did come about there was two or three different changes of managers at QPR and, and you become a little bit of a forgotten man new signings come in and go in your position and, and you know your contract's running out of time and you're not going to get it renewed so um, well, once Ian Ollie made contact he gave me a year he knew about my knee injury problems I think he spoke about Jamie Shaw coming in with a, with a similar type of knee injury as well. Uh, he gave me a year and said, let's see how it goes. And But the hunger and, and the drive was in me at, at that time to really... I've got, I had two years out of the game pretty much. Mm. So the hunger was in me to really go for it. And I thought in that first year, the fans really saw what I was about a little bit. The hunger in me to, to really... Yeah. And, and Well, you got player of the season, didn't you, in your, in your first season? Yeah, um... I think it developed quite a good rapport with the fans in that season. I think they liked me and I liked them and we sort of bounced off each other really well, the fans. Um, I was wholehearted and I am, a, that is me to a T. I'm 100% in whatever I do and, and that sort of, I think the fans and they sort of liked what I was giving them on the pitch during that period. And it helped with the team around me as well. The team I thought was good and was always getting better, especially in that first year. Uh, and it culminated in the second year where we, I thought we had a great group of players. Yes, I mean, the, the recruitment seemed phenomenal. You had some incredibly talented players. You had the, the likes of Curitan, didn't you, and, and Roberts and Stafias a bit, bit later. I mean, I mean, what, what's the recruitment like, do you reckon? Well, we speak about the team, the group of players. In front of me, in the first part of the season, was Jamie Curitan out on the left wing in front of me. Uh, you had Barry Howes, I think, and you had Peter Beadle as a two, as a, as as two centre forwards. You know the the players in that front line. You had Jason Roberts that come in uh, as the season started. I think in that first year, the recruitment. It was a guy. I'm trying to wrap my brains. It was a guy called Richard, and he used to work for Norwich City, and that's where the link with Jamie and and where well, the two Jamies, Jamie Curran and Jamie Shaw came. Um, 
and I think he was the first to set eyes on on Nathan Ellerton um, early when he was mm. playing. Recruitment's everything, and the more I'm working in football, the more I realise recruitment is your be all and end all. Um, if you get your recruitment right and get the right balance of players in your team, you can fly. You really can. And I thought we we bubbled along really well my first year, and I could see in pre-season something special was about to happen and it didn't quite happen for whatever reason yeah mm. I mean obviously an Ian Holloway team is usually pretty attacking I mean what what's the the formation the setup was it five three two that that season or did, did, yeah. did that come a bit later he experimented in pre-season with the five three two I spe- especially when he brought in um I think we had three very good centre-halves at the time we had Tillo, we had Andy, we had Andy Thompson, Steve Foster, you know, very good. And you have to play all three. Mm. Um, I think it's like if you've got three very good centre midfielders, you, you balance your team out to the players you've got. So we played, the, we started off with a, a back four and then we quickly moved to a, a five uh, with myself and I think Robbie Pethick as wing backs or Pritch. And Pritch moved inside um, as a centre midfielder as the season developed and he was excellent in there. Mm. Uh, first period with him and Ronnie Morgier. So Robbie Pethick went as a wing-back. And then I felt that Ian Holloway, he felt we needed more goals or we need to be more creative-minded in, in that as the season developed. And he brought Mark Waters in as well. And Wally was a great addition to the group as well. Yeah, well, he's, he's a touch of class. I mean, that, that first season, I think the the highlight for, for most people was that 6-0 game at Reading. I spoke to Jamie Curiton a couple of weeks back and he obviously had fond memories of, of that game. What what can you remember about that day? You talk about momentum in football and the momentum was great with us at the minute and we were going we were going everywhere and beating everyone. I remember going to Luton and, and really putting four past Luton. I remember going to Stoke City away at Christmas and, and beating Stoke at the Britannia. You just felt you could go anywhere during that period where we were flying and Nil-nil at halftime, tight game, really tight game. Yeah. All the way, his team talks were, his team talks are amazing. You really felt like you could run through brick walls. And once we got the first goal in the second half, Jamie, Jamie and Jason that day were unplayable, really. Every time the ball went forward, you either had Jamie Curran coming to feet or Jason Roberts running down the side, stretching them out. And, you know, they had a really good back line, they did. You had Gerns, Andy Gurney playing right back. Mark McKeever was up against him and gave him a really tough time. You had Neil Clement and Jason Roberts, absolutely, you know, really running, running ragged, he did. And, and Clement moved on to West Brom. But as I said, during that period of the season, we just felt we, were, we could go and beat anybody, really. I did. Yes, I mean, that obviously, you mentioned the momentum word. I mean, that gave you great momentum going into your second season, the infamous 1990,000 campaign. I mean, it's probably a season most guys said to still scratching their heads about. How, I mean, how on, how, on, how on earth did we not go up? I mean, we've obviously going great well, guns. Exactly the same as the fans. And going into the final, I think, 10 games of the season, and I can remember scoring against Wigan at home where, it was the top two played played against each other. I mean, you're obviously going to remember that goal, aren't you, Trevor? You you're one and only. My one and only league goal. Yeah, um, I'm not going to. It did come off the shin. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, we, we had a listener question about that. Actually, I mean, would it have gone in if it didn't get deflected? Uh, did it take a deflection? I think really. A, a, apparently, a, 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 according to one of our listeners, but um, you, you still claim the goal. You still got it. Yeah. Um, you know, we drew one-one and top two that day, and I think from that from that day onwards, we I think we might have only won one game, and that was against City. Which uh. people speak about the group as bottling it, and you don't really bottle bottle it if you beat City at home, do you? I don't. So I didn't like that that phrase at the time, which was banded against that group of players. So what did happen then? So so you say that there was no no bottling. I mean, could you put your finger on on what went wrong at the end? I can remember the game where at Reading away when things went against us, when we lost and the momentum sh- shifted at that point. We played Reading away and we got we went into the dressing room and Martin Allen had three envelopes for Andy Thompson, David Hiller and Robbie Pethick sat in the dressing room. 
and all the boys open it. He was being really derogatory to the three boys about different things, and all the way lost it. Ollie went. Yeah. We're in the tunnel about to go on the pitch, and he's screaming at Martin Allen. And if you can sort of point a finger, it might have been that was the start, I think, when Ollie lost it a little bit, you know, like the Kevin Keegan moment. Um, yeah. Newcastle, and he lost it in the tunnel, and Martin Allen's laughing at him. And I don't know, that, that might, might have been the start. And then, I don't know, Jason Roberts was scoring a, a, a load of goals during that period, and it dried up for Jason a little bit. Mm. coincided with, with us as a group uh, starting to leak a few goals I think our home form went because teams just sat behind the ball and we struggled to break teams down at home so there's I think there was probably two or three things during that that period which coincided yeah and you also had Pritchard and Ronnie Mulgey getting injured as well how, how vital was that massive I totally forgot about that two huge players in that in that that probably the first 35 games of the season. If I remember rightly, Ronnie got injured on international duty with Trinidad, I think it was. He broke his leg. Pritch was, I think Pritch was getting on with a bad knee as it was. He was getting through the season and he just, he couldn't continue anymore. He was, he was playing on one leg, really, um, Pritch. And it meant that the young lads had to come in and try and step up, the likes of Simon Bryant and Lewis Sog, if I remember rightly. And we signed a couple of young lads, I think, from... One from Chelsea, Rob Williston, I think his name was. Probably wasn't up to it at the time, if I'm going to be honest. Probably needed more experience. If I look at a club like Burnley, who we were competing with in the running, or Millwall, um, Burnley went and got Ian Wright in, you know, to try and help them. We didn't match it. We didn't match it with what the other clubs were doing. We probably needed that little bit of help at the time. Yeah, I mean, so, so you mentioned, uh, I mean, really interesting anecdote about Ollie and, and Martin Allen. Was Ian Holloway too emotionally invested in the club? Do you reckon, did, did he want it too much, almost? Listen, Ollie will tell you, he, he's the biggest Bristol Rovers fan going. And for me, I thought he was brilliant, Ollie, and I still, to this day, he was just too emotionally attached at times. He was. And that, that comes down to being with the players as well. If he fell out with players, I think he was a young manager and he was learning his trade. He fell out with Guy Apu and I can remember him falling out with Guy and we needed Guy in that period, but he wouldn't play Guy because of the fallout that he had. And I can remember being in the dressing room saying, need, we need Guy to go in the team. You know, we needed him to come off the bench or, or, or go in. But, you know, I think he's probably learnt from that early period that sometimes it's better to take a step back, um, suck it and see forgive and forget and, and move on. I think he's probably learned from that early period. Yeah, I think he was getting a few pelters um, for his team selection and sub, some substitutions as well. I mean, perhaps there was a bit of stubbornness as well when, when fans were kind of calling for a certain sub to come on and, and he wouldn't do it. Did he kind of lose it tactically a bit at the end as well? He developed a way of playing which... I spoke to somebody about it a while back and Sheffield, you watch Sheffield United play now and they've got an overlapping centre-back. So play three centre-backs and an overlapping centre-backs and I'm watching Sky Sports and the commentators are talking about how it's brilliant. They've never seen it happen before. Ian Holloway was doing it in, in the 99-2000 season. He was encouraging Andy Thompson to get on the outside of Robbie Pethick as a centre-back with the opposite wing-back, either myself or whoever it was, tucking around. So he was ahead of the game probably by 19, 20 years, Ian, all the way back then. Um, but teams did figure us out. I will be honest. I thought teams did figure us out. They did sit behind the ball. We did struggle to break teams down, especially at home when the pitch. The pitch was poor. I'm going to be honest. The men was really poor. And I always felt that we were, were better away from home in, in that period. Yeah. So, I mean, what was the atmosphere in, in dressing room like? So, so the form starts to dip, but obviously... You're in such a good position. I mean, automatics started slipping away, but obviously playoffs seem seemed like a, a dead cert. I mean, was there a point where the players thought we've we've blown this, or, or was there still optimism? I think there was still optimism going into the kind of game, uh, the last game of the season. I still think we had the belief that we could make the playoffs. It was only until I think two or three seasons ago we held 
I think the record for the most points not to be in the playoffs, 80 points we we got that season. Um, but going into the Cardiff the last game of the season, we, we had belief that we'd beat Cardiff, especially with them being relegated. And it just didn't happen on the day. Nothing happened. We were flat. Um, they had nothing to play for. And I think they reveled in in the fact that beating us at Ninian Park that day. I felt for the fans really did. It's horrible for us. It must have been really horrible for the fans that day. Yeah, I mean, it felt like a real sliding doors moment because obviously we had such an incredible squad of players then and I think it was a travesty that we didn't go up. But the fact we did miss out in the playoffs in, in the way we did, um, I don't think the club has ever truly recovered from that. And then obviously in, in the summer, we lose our prolific strikers in, in Robertson and Curitan. Um, and it, it seemed like we never got over the disappointment of that that season. Um, if you so look you, at the players that we lost during that period, you talk about Cura and you talk about Roberts. Andy Tilson for me was huge. I think not. I'm not sure what happened with the club when they didn't renew his contract, but he went and had a, a lot of success at Rushton and Diamonds for a couple of years, where they went went and through the league. So you're losing your spine, your team. You got Critch who, who we played, who obviously had to give up the game because of his knee which was a great loss Ronnie Morgeau was never the same after his injury wasn't the same um, and it took him a long time to recover so the whole spine of your team was decimated was literally taken out in one summer so what so why do you think the the spine went was was there particular reasons or was it all quite individual obviously with with Roberts he, he was destined for higher things and and argue the same with Curitan but obviously we interviewed Jamie a couple of weeks ago and he said he didn't want to to leave the club he was he was effectively forced out I mean what what's your take on on that situation I can't speak personally about what happened with Jamie's situation but it was disappointing losing him to, to Reading in particular I thought at the time if we'd have lost him to let's say we lose him to West Brom like Jace or a team with real aspirations to go into the Premier League then I think, um, you know, you might have forgiven him a little bit, but to lose him to us, one of our so-called uh, local rivals who we were competing with at the time was was really disappointing uh, to lose Jamie to them. Yeah, and um, obviously we spoke about Holloway being a very passionate, emotional man. What was he like in, in the run-up to the that season, the, the season after the promotion disappointment? Was was he the, the same passionate galvanising figure that he'd been the season before? If I'm going to be honest, uh, the whole summer was flat. My memories of the whole summer was flat from our individual meetings or team meetings to coming in for the pre-season. Um, it wasn't the same. So the recruitment that we spoke about, which was so important the previous couple of seasons, I thought we were let down a little bit by the recruitment side of it. Um, and that sort of reflected in in the start of the, in the start of the season that we had that season, yeah, you, you say it was unfair that people said that the players bottled it. Do you think the the board potentially bottled it? Could, could they have um, backed the manager more to take that that step above? Because because we were obviously so close. I've heard a lot of rumours and I've heard a lot of talk about what happened during that transfer window. I can't say for any certain what did or didn't happen. I had rumours that the chairman turned his phone off at the time when, when the manager was trying to get a player or a, two players in, which, which he couldn't get. So did they bottle it? I don't know. I'll sit on the fence. Yeah, because I mean, I think what people can categorically say is, is that we're a selling club. I mean, we're, we're definitely a selling club then. We're probably still a selling club now. We've We've never just had that moment where we've, just added a bit more quality to get us out of um, what is now League, League One. Um, but I mean, the, the start of 2000-2001 season, I mean, it actually started quite well. As I was looking at the, the fixtures, did, did that kind of bore you a, a little bit, the, the good start? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think I missed the start of that season with, with a groin injury. Um which I was uh, it sort of carried on from the previous season. So I had to have, have, have operated on my, my groins. Um, 
it did start quite promising. Um, for whatever reason, it just petered off, I think. Yeah, I mean, you also had the, the League Cup game against Everton as well. I mean, that's obviously a, a massive fixture. But then, yeah, like, like you said, it just held off. And then by January, Holloway got sacked. Was, yep. was that, was that the, the right call, in, in your opinion? Probably yes and no. I think yes for Ian Holloway to probably go and explore other pastures away from Bristol Rovers where he spent so many years. So probably right for him. I think the experiment of, if I remember rightly, um, was it Gary Thompson got the caretaker? Was it? Thomas? He did. Yeah, he, he was caretaker. I think they, the experiment probably was wrong for Gary. It was a great guy. I thought he was a great coach and he was a good two or he was a good assistant to, to Ollie. Um, but was it the right job for him at the right time? Probably it was the right job, definitely, but it was at the wrong time for Gary. Yeah, yeah so, so obviously it kind of all started to, it was a downward trajectory really from there on in for, for your season, the rest of your time at the, at the gas, relegated at home to, to Wickham in that season. So that the season before nearly get promoted yeah. in, into what's now the championship and then just a season later actually get relegation. So what was that like to stomach? Yeah, that was tough. That was probably the toughest summer I've had yeah, involved in football where you just want to close the curtains and you don't want to look at a paper or you don't want to watch Sky Sports News. And My first real experience of, of something as, as bad as that, which affected me so badly personally, um, tough to get yourself up, but you had to, you know, the pre-season coming up and still in contract and wanting to try and get promoted again and I think I've learned very early going into the, the summer and the new season you need a, a different type of player in, in the, that different type of league um, which we didn't have the right balance of the team was nowhere near when it's that season Yeah so we started the 2001-2002 season with Jerry Francis so obviously another club legend but his return didn't work out. What what happened with Jerry? What what are your memories of him? I, listen, I got a lot of respect for Jerry. He gave me my first pro contract in the game at QPR. So I thought he was the best manager I ever worked with at QPR. Come to QPR and it was totally different. I don't think he could uh, commit to the club 100%. He was travelling to and from London. Um, there were times when Gary Penrice and Gary Thompson were were taking a warm-up and we were jogging, and we were jogging, and we were jogging and waiting for Jerry to come. He might have been stuck in traffic, and they weren't allowed to take the session. I spoke to Jerry, uh, to Gary Penrice, who I was close with, and I said, Gary, what's going on? He said, Jerry won't let us take anything. We can't do it, not even a shooting session until he gets here. And sometimes he might have been 30 minutes late, stuck in traffic, and trying to get to the beaches at Brislington. And, and I just don't think he was 100% committed to, to what he wanted to do, Jerry. Yeah, and obviously there was that QPR connection again, and we obviously spoke about your your start to your Rovers career and some great lads coming from QPR. What what was the recruitment like from from Jerry? That there was a few few more QPR faces, I believe. Uh, yeah, if I remember rightly, we had Ross Ware come in. He was a centre forward uh, for a spell. We had a lad called Clinton Ellis, if I remember rightly, came in. Alvin Bubb as well and just the, 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 the little bloke yeah tiny wasn't he but these were players did Ricky Lopez come in as well like Rick Lopez remember yeah that rings a bell but these were all players who were young trying to find their feet in the game and they weren't what we were needing so I spoke about the type of play you needed um, especially on a relegation into a hard league where you're playing Saturday, Tuesday at some horrible places on some not so good pitches and to see this group of young lads come through the door is a little bit disheartening to be, to be blunt. Yeah, so I mean, obviously another incredibly disappointing season and ended up finishing second bottom only above Halifax Town. I mean, that wow. just goes to show that season before we're nearly getting into the, what is now the championship. So Francis only lasted till 
till Christmas. I mean, but by the way you were speaking, then that that's probably the right decision. You feel? Totally agree. Yeah, you you couldn't commit to it one hundred percent, and I think it was affecting not only him and his reputation with the fans. You know, it was a great fanfare when when he came in, and it was going and going and and you know it just didn't work out. So it was the right decision for all parties, definitely. Yeah, and obviously we had Gary Thompson for a bit the, the season before and, and that didn't quite work out, even though, like you said, obviously incredibly nice bloke, but he, he came back in, so, so the board put faith in him again. Um, but yeah, like I said, finished second bottom. Did, did obviously have that incredible FA Cup match away at Derby County, the infamous game with Ellington scoring yeah. a hat-trick. What, what was that day like? I've done a podcast, I think, a couple of weeks ago and, and my five uh, most memorable games that I've ever watched or played in. And that was actually in there. So you speak about, you spoke about the disappointment in the season. You go to Derby or in the Premier League and I still relate with, it with my youth team now and I speak about how can we, as a group of players that are so flat, go to a Premier League team and beat them? Obviously, they need we needed to be at 110%. They needed to like um, not take us take us lightly and a little bit but we actually played really well on the day I thought I can remember coming off the pitch going where's that been all season that performance I mean it wasn't even a smashing grab was it I mean we absolutely battered them and if I remember rightly Wally Mark Waters could have scored at the death but he went through one on one with the keeper he might have hit the post if I remember rightly it should, so it should have been four but you know they had Ravinelli they had Carbona you know there's some very good players four or five million pounds they spent on on one of their French wing backs, if I remember rightly, um, you know they had a really some really good players in their team, and we were excellent. I have to say, we were excellent. Mark Ferran, who whatever people think about Mark Ferran, Corey, he he done a real good job on Ravanelli on that day. Real yeah, good. and then and then obviously at, at the other end, Ellington, he was in inspired form and. Obviously, still a, a young striker, but probably a, a talismanic striker at that point. People ask me about Nathan, and I don't think as teammates, we, we knew what he was going to do half the time. So being an opponent marking him, it must have been really difficult because if we don't know what he was going to do, they ain't got a clue either. But some of the stuff that he was able to do and come away with the ball was, was outstanding. Really, really good. Yeah, so it's an incredible day. I mean, I think that might have been my first or second away game with Rovers. So, I mean, I mean that that sticks really, really vividly in in my mind. And yeah, the, the atmosphere that that day was fan fantastic. So it was everything. You had the new stadium. They just not been long in the stadium. You had the players that obviously Derby had recruited into their team that played on the day. Um, but to be fair, we did, as I said. A lot of people would have written us off before the game, but we actually played really, really well. Played really mm. well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we travelled in in numbers as well. The, the atmosphere there was fantastic, and obviously, everyone at the club needed that. Really needed that. Um, but yeah, in, in in terms of the league campaign, obviously, kind of yeah, like I said, second bottom. And I mean, Ray Graydon finished the season, I believe. So brought in obviously another club legend. So we kind of gone. Holloway club legend, Jay Francis club legend, all, all coming back. And then Ray Graydon once again. What, what what was that like to play under him? Was was that the right appointment? I think Ray had came in, and obviously the team wasn't successful. It was, um, and he was wanting to make a bit of a, a mark on the group of players. Ray, if I'm going to be honest. And in in terms of have, having a mark on on the players, what what do you mean by that? It was a little thing like if you're injured, you had to report in at half eight, you had to report out at half five. So you, you're arriving in rush hour traffic, you're going home in rush hour traffic. Some of the players, I can remember there was me and Vita at the time injured. Um, you know, you're not getting home till last six some, some nights, especially get, getting back from Hallfield to Yate or wherever you, the people were living. And yeah, Sometimes you need to work with players. You can't always fight against them. And, and Ray was a bit of a fighter during that period. He wanted to fight the players. And I just felt he got it totally wrong. Absolutely wrong. And in effect, I thought the way he treated some of the young lads was appalling. Some of the young lads are, I was injured at the time and the feedback I'm getting from them was, was really, really poor. And in any, any other work industry, he'd be, he'd be accused of bullying. He would have been. 
Yes, I mean, he, he strikes me as an incredibly old school manager. So, I mean, some of his kind of techniques and, and tactics pro- probably not, not the most ethical, would you say? So, uh, 100%. Um, I was struggling with, with an ankle injury at the time where with, it turned out he needed operating on and he encouraged me to play against Rushton and Diamonds, um, which ended up, I think, being my last game. And and I played with it and I think I lasted about 15 minutes in the game and I was never fit enough to play. I'd been injured the whole week with Phil Kite. He was talking to me daily about the results aren't great. He needed me on the pitch, needed some experience out there and I played in the game and came off and he'd done a radio interview I think with Radio Bristol and he slaughtered me for not coming off on crutches and you know you're getting feedback from family and friends that have listened to that sort of interview and he's accusing you of basically I I thought in my mind of faking an injury so you know he lost me at that point to be brutally honest and although I love the club and love the fans I made it I think I made it pretty clear that I I needed to get out at that point. Yeah. Especially, especially when it comes to like that, it needed operating on my ankle. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's clear for anyone to see who's ever seen you play, especially in, in the blue and white court, is that you, you would run through a brick wall. Um, so yeah, that's obviously from a Rovers fan's perspective, that's really disappointing to hear. And obviously, obviously again, a, a club legend, but I think fans, yeah, that, that, was slowly lost, well, quickly lost, I should say, with the the way things were progressing on the field. What what was the, the team like, though? You, you say obviously training wasn't the best, but was there any bright sparks on, on the on the field? I, th- I think the issue that Ray had, he brought John Still in as well, and and John was he tried to make things a little bit bubbly, but. A training session which could have been 90 minutes ended up being 180 minutes with John as well because he was meticulous in what he wanted to do, but it was, if I'm going to use the word, it was very boring as well. And I think that reflected on the group of players. So what I think once training becomes long and it becomes boring, I think it's how you play. I think it's how you play. It's how you go onto your pitch. I really do. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what sort of players did we have that, that season? What? Can you remember who, who he would have brought in, signings-wise? The recruitment-wise, Adam Barrett came in. So Adam Barrett came in. I liked Adam. He was captain of the team and centre-back, and I liked Adam. Amwaruddin, so he was a young lad at West Ham. Young centre-back came in. He, went over, he was a good player, Amwar. Uh, Wayne Carlisle, Paul Tate uh, came in as a centre-forward as a number nine. Uh, Kevin Austin came in. Bless it. Uh, he's passed away. Mm. Um, Giuliano Grazioli. So that that was the sort of the recruitment in that. Yeah, field. Grazioli was like the the marquee signing, wasn't he? I think we signed him from from Barney. I think I think he he didn't do too badly. I think I think there was kind of um, flurries of of goals from him. Um, but yeah, was it more kind of? Graydon, was, was the, the team good enough or, or was it kind of a culmination of everything? Because, again, it was another disappointing season for the level that Rovers were at, really. I think we finished quite quite lowly again. I think it was um, it was still, I think you're still going through a time of, of the relegation period. So most of the players, I think, were cleared out during that season or who were gone. But it was still the cloud over the club a little bit. It was still, they needed to try and get the mentality right. And the mentality wasn't quite right still. And that's the players. I think that was the players. Although that the manager at the time was trying to bring in his own players to try and create that right atmosphere, to try and create that right, um, to try and be successful. I still think it was slightly, slightly wrong. Yeah, and I mean, off off the field, it it, it wasn't particularly harmonious at, at that time as well. Did you ever kind of get involved with the the politics off the field? Do do players kind of take that on board at all? I think we all read the press, and and especially now, it's it's more different. I think for players now rather than in my day, because it was all about press reading. Now you've got fans forums. Now you've got a lot of Twitter stuff. You got so I think it's a lot more prevalent. Um, now that part yeah we did read I think a lot of the press and we did see what was going on the, the mutterings in the backgrounds but 
you're trying to focus more on your job in hand, trying to keep yourself fit, trying to keep your form, trying to be successful on the football pitch. Yeah, so at the end of the season, obviously, as, as you spoke about, Graydon, it's unsurprising that, that you left the club in the summer and, and moved to, to Telford. Do you reckon you, you stayed too long at, at Rovers, considering your your times under Jerry and Emre? Well, I was contracted, so I signed my first, so I signed a year under Ian Holloway after my injury, um, and then I was pulled in that summer, and I signed another four years. So I had five, a five-year contract, really, in, in essence. Yeah, the last I, I still speak to, to a lot of um, fans. The first part of it was unbelievable, fantastic the team, um, fans all pulling together as one. The second part of it was difficult. It was it was tough, and results aren't great culminating with little injuries and, and form not being as good as, and you can't figure out why. Um, the second part of it was, was a lot tougher, if I'm going to be honest. Um, and I needed a fresh challenge. I needed you to move. Um, my knee wasn't great, if I'm going to be honest. My knee was starting to feel it. So I was having to t- start taking a lot of painkillers at 27 and 28. So needed the fresh challenge and, and get playing again more than anything. Yes, I mean, as we spoke about right at the start, you you had that horrific knee injury and I think there was estimations of only maybe seven years of, of, of playing football. But I mean, you, you played up until 2009 and you, you still had some great moments. Probably Shrewsbury Town was a highlight. You, you, you're playing in the same team as Scott Howie, I believe. Yeah, played with Scott. Um, me and Scott were quite close. I think he come in under, might have been Ray Graydon, he did it. Um, Bristol Rovers. So lived in Emerson's Green by me, so we used to travel in a lot. Um, I like Scotty, great lad. Um, and we also had a, a young up-and-coming goalkeeper, Andrew Scott, called Joe Hart as well. Oh, so, yeah. So he was coming through the ranks and, and Scott was guiding him nicely um, at that time as well. Yeah, and obviously you had that was it conference playoff final. I, I think it was a penalty shootout victory and a certain Trevor Chalice scored the, the winner. Is, is that right? Yeah, it was, it was amazing how the whole move come about to Shrews because obviously I was at Telford and it was a very ambitious conference club um, with a new stadium, a hotel, health club built into it. Um, we were, and it's the usual case. We lost to Mill, I think, in the FA Cup fourth round. We eventually went on to the final and lost to Manchester United in the final. We lost to Millwall in the fourth round and about a fortnight after the chairman withdrew his funding. So we all became free agents and Shrewsbury were the local rivals. So and I knew Jimmy Quinn wanted a left back and I knew he wanted me. So I went down there on deadline day and signed for him. Um, he made it clear he wanted me to help them get promoted, which, which I did <laughs> with the penalty, scoring the penalty, which was great. I wasn't meant to take that one. I was meant to take the fifth one, but Colin Cram wanted to swap with me as, on as it was happening. Yeah. So Crammy said, Trevor, you take the fourth one. And I said, yeah, no problem. What, why is that then? Did it, did, did he bottle it because it, it could have been the winning penalty? I think he, he might've thought it might've been the glory one. Cram, okay. You know? <laughs> Colin Cram, um, it was a little bit like that a typical center forward. I think he might've wanted the glory fifth one, but um, as it happened, it only needed four. And, and my one, we practiced and practiced our penalties in the lead up. And the build-up to it, Jimmy Quinn was quite meticulous with with his prep, um, and I stuck it in the same corner that I've been doing time and time again in the build-up to the game. Yeah, and obviously Scott Howie, he, he saved a couple of penalties as well. So you and Scott probably don't have to buy a pint in Shrewsbury ever again. Yeah, no, Scott, he saved all three, so it made it a little bit. The pressure was taken off me a little bit. Right, Trevor. So. The part of the interview now is is listener questions. So I, I will warn you, a few of these are quite irreverent. Um, so we'll we, we see how we get on with them. Um, so the first one, again, I was quite young at the time, so I, I can't remember this. Uh, first question is, what was your reaction when Colkin ran out wearing a motorbike helmet? <laughs> what, what the bloody hell was going on there? <laughs> Nick was brilliant. He was a great lad. Um, signed on loan from Manchester United. And he fitted in so well with a group of players. Honestly, he fitted in with myself. He fitted in well with Tomo and Foz. And he, he, was, he made himself a real part of the group. And we were calling him, like you know, like um, Harry Maguire, Slabhead. Yeah. 
So that, that was, he become that that type of player, and he decided just one day he would come out, and that was the sort of atmosphere we had during that period. It was a real good, um, a real good togetherness of a group, and Nick Colkin was brilliant as well. So Slabe come out of a motorbike helmet. Yeah, he's a real cult hero, wasn't he, Colkin? He he wasn't at the club particularly long, but I mean, was it the relegation season that I mean the, the fans kind of lofted him up in the air? He was he was a real standout player, I believe. Yeah, I thought um, without him, we we would have um, we'd lost a lot more games than we did. I thought Nick was excellent and he went on and he done quite well. I think Holloway took him to QPR with him when he got the manager's job there. Um, but yeah, I thought he was a really good goalkeeper, Nick. Really, really good. Next one is a really tough question. I, I don't know the answer to this one. Who was the better striker, Roberts, Curitan or Ellington? Bloody hell. All three of them were different in their own ways. Um, <laughs> Jason Roberts had great power. Um, you could play the ball in behind and you knew he was going to latch onto it and you knew he wasn't the most technically gifted. Um, he developed a real good technique of a toe punt one-on-one with the goalkeeper. So the goalkeeper was never quite set and he was able to stab the ball under the keeper. Jamie Curran had a, a great array of different finishes. Wouldn't run the sides or he couldn't run the sides like Jason because that wasn't his profile. But anything in and around the box, you could, you could pretty much bet your mortgage on that. Um, it would find the back of the net or make the keeper work. And Nathan Ellen, as I said to you earlier, Nathan was a bag of tricks. We never knew what he was going to do half the time. And Nathan, I don't think, knew. But he'd somehow come away with, with the ball. Play all three together and you got a dream. Very diplomatic answer. If, if you had to pick one. If I had to pick one, I'd pick Jace. Okay, well, okay, I'll let, um, I'll let Jamie Kirsten know then. Um, any, any funny stories from your time at the Gas? I mean, you had a great group of players, especially early on in your career. There must have been a bit of banter flying around, shall we say? Yeah, uh, during my first, well, second season it was, me and Jace lived together and we had a little bit of a, an in-house bet that um, if he scored 20 goals... If he scored 20 goals, I would have to, I think it would shave all my hair because I'm a hairy man. Yeah. I had a little bit more hair than I had now and a lot of hair. I'd have to shave myself all off. <laughs> but I had, to score, I had to score two goals and obviously I'm not going to score goals. So I lost the bet. My hair all came off, which I've kept ever since. And every bit of my body hair had to come off as well. So that Fantastic. was our best bit. But we were quite close. We lived together, me and Jason. We had a little bit, yeah. Yes, good commitment to the calls, that one. Um, so we, we mentioned this uh, this bloke earlier on, um, Giapua. Yes. Why, why did he have such a squeaky voice for a big lad? <laughs> I don't know, it was amazing. <laughs> I've just gone high pitch there as well, thinking about him. But I like Gia. I got on really well with him and he was a great lad. And um, He had the worst knees I've ever seen. He had real bad knee problems, like I think a lot of us. Frankie Bennett was one of them. But... Um, I don't know if they drop yet. I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you know much about his career before he joined Rovers? I mean, he played for some illustrious clubs. He spoke about his time. I think it was at somewhere like Valencia. And I was, I remember speaking to him going, you've been in Valencia? He was like, yeah. And I was, he started reeling off with all these clubs. Also. I was like, what, you end up in Bristol? How's this happened? Real Madrid came in for him. £32 million bid that got rejected. No way. Yeah. I used to think he was a bit of a, Oh, a bit of a storyteller, but obviously it's true. Well, uh, to be honest, I got this off Wikipedia, so I don't know whether it's Guy uh, logging on and putting um, his stories on there, but I mean, if, if it's true, it's incredible. I mean, incredible start to his career and then he obviously ended up at Rovers. And... The nicest lad ever as well. And Guy was a real great kid as well, great lad. Yeah, obviously mentioned him early, you felt like he could have featured a bit more for Rovers. I just felt they had a bit of a falling out in and Ollie. And as I said, Ollie was young and, and very, very um, emotional, emotionally attached at the time. And he just, you know, he, he, we needed Guy and they had a falling out and he could have played a little bit more than I think he could have. Uh, one player we haven't really spoken much about, uh, Stafias. How, how, how good was he? He was outstanding. Um, he was brought in, I think, for us for the following season. If we'd have got promoted, when we got promoted, I think he really would have stood out then. Obviously, that didn't happen for Vita. 
and it became tougher and tougher for him to showcase what he was about, you know, when we got relegated. Really good footballer. Um, spoke better English than he made out, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> he would turn the English off, like, I don't understand. You know, yeah. If he didn't like what he was hearing. Very selective. Very selective in his English when he when he knew it. Um, did he fit in with a group of players? No, but not everybody fits in with each other. He was an international and he wanted to look after himself, I think, as, as much as he could. Um, but yeah, terribly gifted, really terribly gifted individual. Could manipulate a ball very well, get out of tight spaces. And he had a little bit of a turn of pace as well. Do you know much about how the move came about? I mean, Gary Johnson was manager of Latvia at the time, so I believe that was the connection that brought Vita to Rovers. Do you, do you know much about that? Not much about it. Um, only picking up the the news or the newspaper one day and seeing that we were signing a Latvian international, and I was like, "Oh, this could be interesting. This could be." But I'd heard the rumours, you know. Gary Penrice spoke about him um, to me as an individual and things like that beforehand. But um, yeah, it was, it was a little bit different. Very, very straight-laced, very, very driven, very... Um, wouldn't allow his kids... A little thing I remember, wouldn't allow his kids to eat any, anything sugary. Okay. Yeah, and that would be some beat up as well a little bit. Yeah, he only seemed to have one expression on his, yeah. his face. I just think it's... When you come from that type of the world, they're all a little bit like that. All my experiences are the Eastern Bloc countries are very, very straight. Yeah, very, very focused. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what what a coup getting a Latvian international. Who are who are these Latvian? Great, great days. Uh, so, yeah. final one, Trevor. Uh, so this comes in from longtime listener and friend of the show, Rovers Ram. Who was the longest in the shower? <laughs> uh, you can take that in a, in a couple of directions I'll leave that up to you oh god um, Scott Howie used to take ages in the shower Scotty did <laughs> okay Trevor Chalice um, thank you very much very, very interesting uh, very candid very open um, yeah thanks for coming on no problem Jack and um, yeah Take it steady. I, I would wish you luck in your in the rest of your coaching career, but maybe not at the moment. You're obviously more than welcome to to come back to the, the gas if, if you ever wanted to, to to join back with us, lot. Jack, appreciate that. Nice one. Take it steady. Yeah.